Have you ever just felt you wanted to, to, to find somewhere uh, hiding your way, curl up, put your hands over your face, and forget about the world? Ever felt like that? Um, a few years ago, I walked into our bedroom and found our cat. Um, he got into a bag, and he was all like that. And sometimes I feel like that. I don't know about you. But um, uh, the last two weeks, sorry, two week, the last week, a week ago, I was speaking about Jesus' design for the Christian life, Jesus' plan for the Christian life. And uh, I'm just going to go over it now, and then I'll talk about how it fits in with this picture here. We talk about how he started by saying we should believe and be baptized, and then in his, his final talk to his disciples before he went to the cross, he spoke to them in this amazing passage in John 17 about how they should be in the world, but not of it, how they should represent Jesus to the world and be completely focused, completely dedicated to this task, and how they needed to be transformed by the truth in order to do this. And But then the way the world would see what he was like, what the Father was like, was by seeing the love and unity between the believers and what they were showing to the world. And this is only possible by the life of Jesus in us through the Spirit. And then our destiny he ended up with by saying that it's with him at his side forever. So that was just in a half an hour a summary of Jesus' plan for the Christian life. But as we as we look at that, we can think, well, how can I, this is, this is too much. How can I do this? How can I have strength to do this? And so what I'd like to talk about this morning is the topic, making an effort to rest. Making an effort to rest. And this sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? And this is what I'm going to focus on to start with. Um, but um, uh, uh, we're going to, let me give you an overview uh, the pro- this, I'm going to start by talking about this problem, is rest, making an effort, what's the Bible talking about here? And then the second I want to talk about Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, and how this there's a, a real teaching on rest in those verses, which is going to be our main passage for today. Then I want to talk about the solution, and then uh, how are we going to put this into practice? So that's my outline for today. So let's start the problem. The problem is we seem to have two contradictory messages in the scriptures about rest. Um, Let me give you some examples. Um, Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, we're told to enter God's rest. But it says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following the same pattern of disobedience. I'll explain the background to this text in a minute. But the point I'm trying to make here is that effort and rest seem to be on the opposite side of things. What is it talking about here? I don't know if any of you suffer from from insomnia, but the worst thing you can do is just put more and more effort into trying to get to sleep. It's like the more you try and sleep, the harder it is. And... um, uh, does this seem in contradiction? Actually, we see the same kind of contradictions in Jesus' teaching. Um, how can it be rest and making effort at the same time? 
Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate. The gate is narrow and the way is difficult that leads to life. And there are few that find it. And then he continues a couple of chapters later. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. A yoke is a, is a burden, a, a, what the cattle would use to pull the plow. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Which is it? Is it difficult or is it easy? Do we make effort or are we resting? There seems to be this contradiction. If we then look at other places in the Bible where it talks about labor, seem to be a lot of value put on working hard. So, for example, Paul talks about his own work. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one. Each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And this verse here, the word here, labor, um, if we study what the word means, it actually, it's hard physical labor, like digging in a field. That's the kind of meaning that word is. So we can't get out of the problem by saying, well, he doesn't really mean labor here. Let's look at another reference. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Same idea. One more quote here. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So many other verses I could quote you, just giving the, the value of labor. <clears throat> However, in that last verse there, there's a kind of a clue. It Jesus working in us, maybe that's something that we should look at. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to look as our main passage this morning, the book of Hebrews. I've introduced the problem, I've introduced this, this possible dilemma we have between labor and rest. And I'm going to focus on Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 this morning, which really is the main, it's what it's all about. It's all about rest. And we'll see if it's going to shed any light on our problem. So some background to it. The Israelites came out of Egypt. They came with a tremendous confrontation with Pharaoh. Red Sea was opened. They went through. The armies of Pharaoh were destroyed. And there they are in the wilderness heading to the promised land. And things were not easy in the wilderness. Uh, there were lots of struggles, but God promised there was going to be a rest where they were going. They're heading for a rest. This is where it's going to be. God is going to give them a rest. And yet they never entered into that rest. That generation failed to enter into the rest. So, and this is what this passage is about in Hebrews 3 and 4. And I'm going to read some of it now. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, oh, today you would listen as he speaks. So he says, you now have got to listen to what was spoken to the Israelites. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion 
in the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me, and they saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I became provoked at that generation and said, their hearts are always wandering and they have not made known my ways. So if they've not known my ways. So I made a promise in my anger, they will never enter my rest. So we see they could not enter because of unbelief. So then if we look at uh, chapter 4, we see uh, it goes on and it picks this idea up and it says, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one may fall by following the same pattern of disobedience. Do you see the problem? Well, let's actually look at what happens here in this story. Um, These Israelites didn't enter the promised land. Do you remember why? Can anybody tell me what it was they they didn't enter the promised land? Yeah? Yet there were giants in the land and they were afraid for their children and for themselves. So they didn't enter because of this problem. Um, They didn't actually, but God said it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Everything will be okay. So the real problem was that they didn't trust God's promises. So they didn't believe it would be rest. They actually thought this is going to be horrible if we go in. We're not going to trust. We're going to stay where we are. We'll be safer. So really what stopped them entering God's rest was not believing it was really going to be rest. It was not uh, being willing to commit themselves to God. I'm going to pick up that idea later on. But then later on in this passage in, in Hebrews... We're not going to read it, but the writer introduces another picture of rest, which is the Garden of Eden. And Garden of Eden was a perfect place of rest and beauty, even though Adam had and Eve had work to do. Yet um, they could have stayed in that place of beauty and rest, but they failed to trust God. And so what we're seeing here is that somehow rest is connected with trust and failing to rest is connected with failing to trust. This is what the writer here in Hebrews is saying, and he ends up by saying it's really all about faith. It's about if you trust, you can enter into rest. So I'm going to talk about the solution then that I think is coming out of these passages and the other places it it mentions it in Scripture. The solution is that the rest we enter into is not about lying around doing nothing. That's not what it is. No, that's never pictured as the rest. It's about ceasing from worry, from anxiety, from restlessness, from being stressed out and giving our worries to God. So when it talks about rest in scripture, it's not a rest of passivity. It's a rest of being unstressed, giving our stresses to God. Um, I often need this message preached to me. I don't know about you, but this is a message that I often need to hear. And I'm going to tell you a, a couple of stories. Um, so this is uh, the first story is uh, when I was when I was uh, a teenager. My dad was a pastor, and he uh, he was given the opportunity of us having a family vacation in Marseille, the south of France, for a month. Somebody 
was not living in, leaving their house there. And we had this amazing opportunity. And he decided that we were going to drive right the way down in a day from England to Marseille, which was possible. Um, but it meant that we were arriving in Marseille quite late at night. And um, it was it's a big city. It was getting dark. And all we had was a, a piece of paper with the address of where it was that we were supposed to be. It was before the days of Google Maps and, and GPSs and so on. So uh, I don't really know what he was thinking, but we ended up in the middle of, we were right downtown in Marseille. Later on in that trip, we, we met up with a guy who was a policeman there, and he told us uh, that uh, it was well known that Marseille were the worst drivers in the whole of France. And uh, we were experiencing some of this kind of chaotic driving, and here we are, um, just completely lost in the city. And uh, uh, my dad was getting very, very stressed about this. I think it's fair to say this. And what happened was we would, we drove up to some lights and there was another, it was two lanes, there's another car next to us and something made him decide to wind down our window and hold a piece of paper with the address up to the driver of the car next to it. And the driver looked at the address and said, and he must have guessed we were English, he said, follow me. And for about the next, like, 20, 25, 30 minutes, driving all in and out the streets of Marseille, we followed this guy. And eventually, we drove along this little back road, and he pointed down there, and then he drove off. And he was right. That little alley was where we were going, and we found the house. Well, we never discovered who he was. I mean, maybe he was an angel. We don't know. But once we were following him, it was a completely different kind of experience because it wasn't easy. He was driving quite fast. He was you know, not quite running red lights, but nearly. And it was an effort to keep up with him. But it was a different kind of experience because uh, he was very confident that he was taking us there. And really, the, the question was, really, were we trusting him? And we did. So we were transformed from one kind of, of, of not resting, uh, being stressed, to another situation where we were, we were resting in a way because our stress was put on him, but we were still having to put effort into it. And I think this is a good parable of what Jesus is talking about here. Because he's not talking about going to a place where we just lay back and cover up our face, but he's talking about where we put our confidence in someone. So what goes is the stress. What goes is the confusion. What goes is the worry about whether things are going to turn out right. So it's not about what we're doing, but how and why we're doing it. And there's a saying, you may have heard about let go and let God. And this was quite popular maybe 40 or 50 years ago in Christian circles. And in, if wrongly understood, it can lead to a careless, passive, lazy fatalism. But that's not originally how it was meant to be understood. It wasn't meant to be giving yourself actively to God. So um, I'm going to tell you another story. Uh, a few years ago, we had a family vacation to Churchill. This was, um, I'm guessing, nearly 20 years ago, something like that. A family vacation, and we went there on the train. Uh, it's an amazing train journey because they have actually have to float the rails across the tundra, and there's no roads up there. And uh, 
they've actually they, they got washed away in the floods a couple of years ago, and they've just reinstated the railway line up to Churchill. So uh, we it took us uh, a day and a half on the train to get there, and then we, we were there for something like 15 hours, and then we had another day and a half train getting back again. So I was very focused on what we were going to do in Churchill to make sure we use the time efficiently. And like, were we going to go whale watching or see the fort? We couldn't do both. We'd do whale watching. We had to be at this place at this time. And then we'd go out on the tundra buggy and see if we could see polar bears in the afternoon. And I'd kind of plan like where were the addresses and try to get everything figured out because I wanted to maximize this time. So as we're arriving in Churchill on the train, the train's running late. And we're like two hours late. I'm thinking, what are we going to do? How do we even find where... Like, uh, we missed it. We lost our opportunity. So as soon as we got there, got off the train, uh, got my family off the train, found a guy who looked like he was, you know, doing something there, looked like he lived there. I said, excuse me, do you know how we get to the, the whale watching? Don't worry, sir, he said. It's okay. We'll, we'll sort it out. I'll, I'll, I'll sort that out for you. Oh, I thought. I realized a little later that everybody in Churchill knows everyone else. So actually it was very, so he got called somebody up. He said, don't worry, they'll come and pick you up in just a few minutes. I thought, okay, well, this is good. So anyway, they came and picked us up. We did the whale watching and at the end of the whale watching, they said, do you want to see the fort as well? Like, well, okay, sure, let's do that. So we, we saw the fort, but things were getting a bit late then. And I thought, what about the tundra buggy? So as we get off, I say to the, the guy there who's meeting us at the, at the key, do you know what we do for the, the tundra buggy, uh, where we go. He said, don't worry about it. Um, you probably need lunch now, don't you? Uh, I said, sure. Uh, so he said, I'll take you to a restaurant and then I'll call the tundra buggy guy and he'll come across in 45 minutes and pick you up from there. But wow, this is amazing. So uh, as we get to the restaurant, we walk in and the restaurant owner says, um, a cruise ship was supposed to be coming in today they've cancelled. I've got all this food. You can have it for free. Well, at that point, I twigged that God was looking after me. Kind of, it was a bit slow, but I twigged that like, this was supposed to be on my vacation. And I was doing all this dressing and God actually wanted me to have a relaxing time. And at that point, I finally thought, okay, God, I get it. I have to give this to you. And I started to relax and just to enjoy it. And God just provided everything. And I'm not pro- promising that every vacation you go on will be like that, but I felt God was really teaching me a lesson then that I was, I was ruining my vacation by just trying to, to operate in this control mode where everything was having to happen according to this schedule. So I'd like then to talk about the solution a little bit more. I want to suggest that this really is all about our attitude. And... Um, our, our attitude to what we have in front of us to do. My my grandfather used to make rugs, and when he retired, he'd make these. Uh, he worked really hard on this and, and make these rugs using needles and and wool, and uh, it was a relaxation. And some people make rugs for work. That's what their job is. And you can imagine, if you're doing for work, you think, oh, I've got to do this work I, oh, every day at you know, nine to five making rugs. And your attitude towards it is very different if it's something you've chosen to do for relaxation. And so I want to suggest to you that our attitude towards it is 
fundamentally important. Um, and uh, there are two ways we can fail to enter into this rest. I want to suggest that one way is by not resting from our own works. So it's our own things that we've chosen to do. Um, uh, and the other problem is that it's not not submitting to Jesus and not, not making every effort to enter that rest. I'll explain what I mean by this in a moment. Um, I'll just tell you another story. So this last week, I had a meeting with a, an organization um, that I was, uh, a Christian organization in Toronto that I was planned to meet up with. And it's, I, I thought it was going to be quite an important meeting, but then in advance of it, I had an email from them which really concerned me because it looked like they totally misunderstood what I wanted to do and a huge amount of effort would be wasted. So I'm, I'm preparing for this meeting, it's coming up, and I'm getting really stressed because I'm thinking, this isn't, this isn't going to go well. And as I was praying about it, I realized that um, it dawned on me that how inappropriate this was because it wasn't my problem, it was God's problem. Like I was having this meeting because of God. The whole project was because of God. The whole reason for doing this was because I felt it was God's will. And so if it didn't work out, it's not my loss, it's God's loss. It's not my problem, it's God's. So actually all I had to do was to say, God, it looks like there's a problem here in what you're wanting to do. But I'm just going to give this to you because you can work it out and I've done what I can, but it's, it's, it's your, it's your concern that I have, not mine. And as it actually happened, it went amazingly well. Things turned around completely from what, how I thought they were going to be. Um, and really what was the problem was my attitude that I'd taken ownership of it, that it was mine and I had to make it work because I was seeing it as being my work, my, something I had to do. Um, and then, so, so what I actually had to do was the second one, submit to Jesus and actually give it to him and, and trust he was able to make this come about. So, um, so under the first part there, often it's our performance. We have a performance goal that we're trying to reach. And we feel that if I don't meet this performance, I won't be good enough. And it's something that we've set ourselves to do. Uh, this is very dangerous. And I want to ask you to ask yourself the question, am I doing things that God hasn't given me to do? Have I taken on burdens that God has not asked me to take on. I've decided to do this. Because if God has given me this burden, I do not have to worry about taking it on. I'm going to suggest um, that even the work we actually do, it's done by Jesus living in us. And a couple of verses, Galatians 2.20 It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so even what we physically have to do, the work we have to do, he can strengthen us as we do it. And I'll talk in a minute a bit more about that. Another verse. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So I'm going to 
suggest there are three ways that we can respond to the pressure that we have on our lives. And in the middle there, we have true rest, which is what I've been talking about. In the green there, we have, on the left, we have no effort to submit to Jesus. So we're taking on as our work, our responsibility, and we are trying to do it in our own strength, which is what I was trying to do with the vacation in Churchill and what I was trying to do with a meeting that I had last week. I'm not, I'm not realizing that I can just give this to Jesus because this is something that's in his will. On the other side, on the right-hand side, we have things that are actually not Jesus' work at all. They're our own works, and we need to actually stop putting effort into that because that's how we're, we're getting stressed because it's our own work that we're doing. And so those are the two faults I think we can fall into. We, 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 we're doing stuff, but it's the wrong stuff that we're doing, or we're doing the right stuff, but we're not giving the responsibility to Jesus for it to come through. So I've got a slide now that I'm going to try and summarize everything together um, and put the answer all into one slide. Two parts, there's passive and there's active. So passively, we need to stop taking responsibility for securing our own future by stress-filled effort. We need to, to stop doing that. Uh, so uh, this is um, what the Israelites did wrong. They were not content with what God offered them. We need to be content with the promised land that God has offered us and being content with what he is going to give us. And believing that he will empower us to do that. And so then we can be actively saying, following what Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So passively stop taking responsibility. Actively putting our yoke on Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm going to give this to you. There is a yoke. There is a yoke, but it's the one that Jesus has given us, and that's an easy one. Actively, we follow the commands to take up our cross in the strength that Christ supplies. And this might not be easy. This is why Paul talks about the hard labor. But it's the strength that Christ supplies. It's what he gives us, enables us to do this. Uh, he uses the picture, except the seed fall into the ground and die, it won't bring forth fruit. It's the idea of you just you just uh, cast yourself on him and then he will bring forth the fruit. And then finally, actively following this path of submissive obedience and because of love, not to earn anything. We do it because we love him. And so laying our lives down as Jesus did and trusting that God will raise us up as Jesus did. Um. One practical suggestion for how we do this, this kind of resting trust that it's calling us in. Um, sometimes we have something big. We know Jesus has called us to do it, but it just seems so big. It just seems so, so large. How am I going to do this? And one I'm going to suggest you do 
is you take the first step. And as you take the first step, Jesus' power will come into you. And I'm, I'm basing this on the way Jesus did miracles. Remember the man with the withered hand? He's got this hand withered up. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, stretch forth your hand. And as the man began to stretch it forth, he was healed. And so there's something about, in, about faith that actually requires a step to start with. And so for the Israelites to go into the promised land, they actually had to take a step towards it. They had to go towards it. And sometimes we have this horrible big thing that we just, it's just so big. How can I possibly do this? All Jesus is asking us to do is to take a step. And as we take a step, his, his a faith, his power begins to flow into us as we do this. Another story to support this is from the life of Elijah. Elijah um, there was a famine in the land and he was called to go out of the land and he was called to, he, he arrived at a place and he had no food and there was a widow there and he asked the widow to bake him some, to make him a, a cake. And the widow said, I've no food left because of the famine. All I've got is enough oil and flour to make one cake and that's for my, myself and my son. We're going to eat it and then we're going to die. And do you remember what he said to her? Make one for me. And then make one for your son and your child. So she did that. She made one for him and he ate it. And then there was enough for her child. And then there was more and there was more and it never ran out. But she had to do that first step and faith of stepping forward. And then the, the stress was gone. She could just rest in this unending supply of food that was just there. But the, the, the faith was required to step out in this, into this promise that God had made. The other image that's in there in this list I've given here is Jesus saying, take up your cross, um, the, the idea of dying, the idea of taking a risk, which could, which if Jesus is wrong, you end up with nothing. It's a test, t- uh, it's a risk that Jesus is right. When I was, when I was a teenager, uh, I used to do what we called potholing. I think in North America you'd call it either caving or spelunking, but it was a kind of, of uh, caving where you're following a river down underground. And I, I, it was, we were just totally stupid. We should never have done this. It was far too dangerous what we were doing. But, um, three miles underground following this river, we had all the equipment, like we had the lights, the helmets, like all the gear. But, you know, three, three miles underground, we reached this, we would reach this place where the roof of the, of the channel where the river was flowing went underwater. So the only way you could go prog- make any progress was actually by swimming underground in this cave and coming up again the other side. It's called a sump. And, um, thankfully somebody had laid a rope through and secured it both ends. At least that's what we were led to believe. We just saw a rope at this end. Well, I was one of the people stupid enough to actually hold my breath and to dip my dive down in the water and pull myself on this rope to see where it went. And it did indeed come up the other side and there was air and you could breathe and I'm alive today and I got back again. And um, of course, they all wanted to know what it was like the other side and we could tell them what we like because they hadn't seen it. So we could make up all kinds of stories, but it was just the same as what it was where we, where we left. However, 
this is a, this is a, um, a picture of what it, what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Because he's calling us to take a risk that's so big that if it fails, we lose everything. But if it succeeds, we get his life. And so this is really what rest is. Rest is saying, I'm going to trust in this rope. This rope is going to get me through. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to stress about this because I've got such confidence that this rope is going to get me through. Um, so this is a little, little bit like death and resurrection here. And it's also like what becoming a Christian is like. Because becoming a Christian is saying, I'm actually going to take a risk that Jesus is right, that everything is right, that Christianity is true. I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to give everything. And if I give everything, then actually I gain everything. But it revolves a risk. And that risk is called faith. Um, I, I once heard a speaker say, faith is spelt with an R. It's called risk. And this is what it means to become a Christian, to, to follow this these words that Jesus says, this life that Jesus says, this teaching, and believe that it leads to life, and believe it enough that you give him your life, and you ask him to take over your life. So, um, back to my overview, I talked about the problem of rest, you know, is it rest or is it labor? Uh, I, we went through Hebrews 3 and 4. I've talked about the solution, about really, it about about... Um, not a passive rest, but a trusting in Jesus and actually giving the problem, the stress to him. It's actually giving the stress and the worry to him that this is about. And so I want to talk now at the end about how to put this into practice. How to put this into practice. Well, the first thing I want to say is that um, weakness is good. There's nothing wrong with weakness. Um, weakness, we know the limits to our own strength. Uh, what, you, what you need is, is to trust Jesus and give him the, uh, make a decision. You're going to decide to give your worries to him. But I want to I ask you, um, are you, are you looking, are you searching for a, ha- a harbor, a safe place, an Eden, a wonderful resting place, a place where all of your worries are ended. Everything that you hope for is coming true, like in a garden of Eden. Well, of course, we all are. All of us want this. All of us want this place where all of the bad stuff is gone, and we're, rest- we're coming to this, this place of joy and peace and wonder. And, of course, that is what heaven is about, uh, but some of that is available here. Some of that is available on this earth in what, ge- on what Jesus has given us. And this image of the rest, the trust, everything is going to be looked after. I have a very, I'm going to, I know you've given a lot of stories today, but I'm going to give you one more story. And this is from my childhood that, um, my, uh, every year my, my parents would organize a, uh, a week away for the church. And we would all go away for a week on a camping trip or something. And at the end of it, there would be this day that everybody would leave and there'd be this huge amount of work to get everything sorted out and cleaned up. And then we would go off for a vacation, a family vacation. And it would be on the beach and be fun. And, and 
Every, t- every time we'd finished everything, we'd get into our car to head off to the vacation. And I, I have this clear memory of sitting in the back seat and my brother and sister each side of me, my parents in the front. And I'm tired, but I know that all the, all the work is behind us and we're going to have this wonderful vacation and I can, my parents know the way and they'll take us there and it's just going to be amazing. And I can just rest in that place and, and, and trust. And so although we're not there yet, and we're not going to be completely there yet in this life, yet we can be at a place where we just know that God is taking us. God has a plan for us. Jesus has this amazing um, place that he's preparing for us that is going to be everything that we've always longed for. So... um, I want to, I want to ask you, are you searching for this Eden, for this safe resting place, this promised land? Um, are you anxious? Do you struggle with, are you performance driven? Are you highly goal orientated? Do you have stressed out days? I want you to ask yourself this question. Is this something that I have to do because God has given to me? Or is it a burden that I have laid on myself? Is this God? If it's God, then he'll supply the strength. But if it's a burden you've put on yourself, then that's nothing you should be taking on. Or we may be failing to enter Christ's rest because we can't be bothered. We're just, nah, it's just too much. Too much effort. Life's okay. Um, Either way, we're not entering into his rest. Um, Jesus provides the ultimate rest, and he provides the rest from not measuring up to the standard of his law as well. That we don't have to struggle to please him, it's a rest in the joy of being accepted in what Jesus has done. So I'm going to challenge you now, to, you two now, to respond. And I want to, to, to challenge you. Are you trusting Jesus right now with your life? Are you laboring under weights that Jesus has not given you? Like I was um, with uh, Churchill, with a visit to Churchill, with that meeting earlier in this week. Um, are you actively following the path of submissive obedience, taking the risk of trusting Jesus? Like following that rope through the sump. So I want to ask you right now to examine your life. I want to challenge you and to, to question yourself. Are you, are you falling into one of these two sides? That you're taking on things that you shouldn't be taking on and you can't rest because they're not what you should be doing. Or are you taking on the right things? You're doing the right things, but you're not giving it to Jesus. You're not allowing Jesus to, get, to bring you into the rest because you're not trusting him with these things. Um, so I don't think we'll end with worship now because it's been a long sermon, um, but I'm just going to close in prayer now. And I'm going to pray, and I'd like, as we pray, I'd like to just challenge each of you and uh, just to to engage with this and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what he might be saying to you at this time. Father, we receive this command from you to rest we pray, Lord, you'll show us right now, each of us, where we're failing to enter into your rest. Show us, Lord, where we've taken on things that you've not given us. We don't need to be striving with them. Show us, Lord, 
right now what they might be. And show us, Lord, where we're carrying weights that you want to carry. That we're taking on responsibilities that's your responsibility. And we need to give it to you and to trust you. Just give it over to you. Show us now, Lord, we pray. Holy Spirit, please show us in our hearts. And we want to say, Father, forgive us for not trusting you. Forgive us. And please pour into us a spirit of trust and a spirit of rest that we can just rest and enjoy what you have done for us. Amen.